Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Impulse Control Experiment. As always, I am Joel Harrison, and I do appreciate you for being here and keeping me honest. Um, have another awesome guest for you all today, uh, my good, good friend, mentor, and trainer, uh, Mr. Paul Ramsey. Uh, hey, Paul, how are we doing today? Outstanding, my friend. Glad to be here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining me. Um, so I usually start the folks off with a little bit of update of how my last day has been. Um, and actually I kind of jumped right into, it, uh, yesterday. So I did have a couple missteps over what I'll call the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, so I went and I, I cleared my intention on Wednesday with, uh, my audience. So I did eat full blown carbs at Thanksgiving. Um, so this is my second Thanksgiving that I've done. First one, no carbs. Um, you know, you got, you got two pieces of family, you, got, you know. So uh, the first one was no carbs uh, on that one, except for maybe a tiny, tiny piece of uh, dessert that my wife had somebody make for us that was kind of expensive and delicious. So I ate that. Um, and then when I went to my own family Thanksgiving, my brother makes the best mashed potatoes in the world. My mom makes, you know, the best noodles around. So I was like, you know what? I get these like once or twice a year. I'm, I'm doing this. Um, and then I did have probably two half ounce pours of some really, really high quality whiskey with my stepfather. And that's kind of like the only thing that he and I really connect on. Other than that, we are um, fundamentally and politically very different. So I kind of took that opportunity <laughs> to, to just say, here we go. Here's how I'm going to do this. And this is where we're going to connect. I'm going to not argue about politics and about how I think your views are terrible. And I'm going to set all that aside. And then the couple times we do get to, if you're listening to the audio version of this, Paul has a little bit of a cold, so he's muted himself. Um, so you can't hear him coughing so much, but he's laughing his ass off. So, um, But yeah, so I had some really, really, so I, but I set that intention before I went. So I feel, you know, this isn't a diet. This is about controlling my impulses. So I still feel like I'm in check good on controlling my impulses because I set my intention. I said, this is how I'm going to handle it. And then I stuck to that. So you're still muted. Or maybe I have you muted. No, I got it. That was me. I cool. thought I tapped it, but I didn't. So I have a question for you about that. So because you've been, you've been, first of all, we don't, we talk on the phone um, more lately than doing this video stuff. And I know the people listening to the podcast can't see us, but I, you look fantastic. First of oh. all, I mean, you, you just look, I mean, honestly, thank you. you. Besides looking clearly thinner than, um, the last time we saw each other in person, you, you look healthier. You, you have a rarely, a, a truly healthy look to you. I think it's fantastic. And, and I'm just, I'm watching you and I'm going, gosh, he's clearly healthier um, than, than before. And so I'm like, so if you have a day like that where, you know, you're like, I've been being good, being good, being good. And then you, um, you know, you do the carbs and you do the whiskey, you kind of, you hit it all for a day. Do you notice it in the way you feel? Do you, do you perceive a difference in your physical self? So I very intentionally didn't have enough whiskey to, for it to really count. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big whiskey fan and I really like to drink nice whiskey on occasion. You know, sometimes I do drink cheap whiskey just to get drunk. Um, but I like to drink really nice whiskey cause it has a lot of nuance. You know, a lot of people don't realize there's as much flavor and nuance in whiskey as there is in, in wine, you know, or in anything else that you would drink just because it's enjoyable. And, um, 
so, but I think I, like I said, I had maybe a, an ounce total. Um, so the drinking, I mean, I did not get a buzz. The carbs, um, I was, I was bloated full after Thanksgiving dinner for the first time. Um, and my impulse control was I was only going to have one plate, you know, sometimes at Thanksgiving, I'm a two or three plate kind of guy or up until now I have been. Um, so my, my portion size, um, although I'll be honest, I stacked that one plate as full as I could. <laughs> um, but my, I, I did feel bloated full for a few hours. Um, and then like the next morning I was a little slow getting going. And I think maybe that's from some of the from the, some of the carbs weighing me down. But other than that, I didn't notice a detriment. Um, but like I wasn't hungover or anything because I just had a very small amount of whiskey. So, but I feel I do feel day to day much better. It's much easier to climb out of bed in the morning. It's much easier to sit down and get to work and those kind of things. So, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that, that being said, all that update and, and being good with that, um, I wanted to bring you in because, so Paul and I started working together, I think it was January or February of this year. Um, and one of the first things I hired you to be my mentor and I wouldn't, uh, I don't have one second of regret from that. I appreciate everything you've done for me. Um, and uh, one of the first things that we did was sit down and go over um, the six human needs that every human has. And I was floored by what we discovered and how my, my general being changed and what I thought was my purpose and what I thought was my direction. Um, and through that process, we discovered that I needed to be helping and working with people. Um, so it's almost a direct line from there to here. And I was wondering if you could just kind of jump in for a minute and talk about that process, talk about the needs and kind of explain how that's helpful and, and how we use that uh, process through, through change work. Sure. Sure. So um, I, in the work that I do with all my, my people, whether I'm mentoring um, stage hypnotists or training um, new consulting hypnotists or seeing clients, uh, much of the time, I wouldn't say all of the time, but much of the time I find that I end up talking about human needs psychology with, with people. And I'm not a practicing psychologist. I want to make sure for your people, I clarify that. Um, I don't use human needs psychology to diagnose people or to, um, you know, to, to treat them. I use it the way that we all can use general knowledge about psychological principles, you know, um, as, as average, ordinary, everyday people. And, and I think that's the beauty of the six needs is it's really accessible to every single person who's willing to just take the time and, and learn about them. And once you learn about them, the amount of empowerment that, that you experience is, is really substantial. Um, Human needs psychology posits that all human beings on the planet, regardless of gender or race or religion or any kind of other identity label that you might think of using for yourself, um, that all human beings have evolved uh, over the millennia to have these six basic needs and that all of our behaviors and all of our choices and when I say all, again, sometimes in language, you know, we take for granted the, the language that we're using. I, I'm, I really mean it. All of the things that we do and all the things that we choose are to get one or more of your six needs met. 
and that when we have problems in life, um, it is either because we're in a deep state of stress or anxiety because our needs aren't getting met or we're in a tough place because we're getting our needs met, but we're getting them met in a, in a, a dysfunctional way. So let me go through the six needs for you and then you'll start to get a better picture. Um, the first need, and these are not in, in terms of priority. Um, it's, just, it's just how I like to talk about them. The first need is certainty. Uh, all human beings have a need to feel certain in various ways of life. You want to feel um, that your physical health is certain, that you are in good health and not in danger of, of being sick and dying. You want to feel uh, financially certain that you have the money you need to provide all of the environmental things that you require, a roof over your head, food on your table, uh, clothes on your back. You also can draw certainty from your relationships. So there is a certain, um, there's a certainty that comes from people. You know, do I have people that I can count on? Do I have the right relationships that, that I know people are going to be there for me when I need them? So that's, the, so right off, I hope that sharing this first one shows your audience, you know, you use one word, but the way the word works is in a myriad of ways. It's, it's really, it takes on a lot of different forms and it fills a lot of different gaps in your life. So what, what I generally say with clients is think of certainty as various forms of safety and control. If you feel safe and if you feel in control of your life, then you feel like you have certainty. Um, the next one is significance. Significance is the feeling that you're important and that you matter and that you're worthy. So again, one word, significance, but lots of different ways in which that word plays out. Um, do you have social status? Think of all the different ways that you can get social status. The car you drive, the clothes you wear, the jewelry, your job. Um, those are all different ways of getting significance. You're, again, we go to people, relationships. Um, do you have a partner that makes you feel significant? Do you have friendships that make you feel significant? Does your, do your relationships with your family members make you feel significant? Um, and it just, again, it goes on and on. There's all these different ways of assessing, um, am I important? Do I matter? Am I worthy? Uh, the third one is love and connection. It's the only one that uses two words. And the reason for that is that love is the ultimate connection. But then there are times in which you feel connected to people, but you wouldn't necessarily say that you love them. So uh, the example I always use is, um, you know, you have people in which you, you clearly have a deep and loving connection, your, your parents, your siblings, your partner, your children. Um, but you can meet a stranger on a, at a bus stop and you can strike up a conversation with them and have a genuinely engaging conversation and really feel glad that you connected with that stranger. You won't necessarily feel like you love them. So love and connection, um, you know, is the only one that has two words. Uh, your next one is variety. Variety also gets sometimes termed as uncertainty. The idea is, is that the human brain, um, it wants certainty to meet its safety needs in the networks like the reticular activating system that, that are always watching to make sure that you're safe. Um, and then ironically, when it has a clear sense of safety and security, 
Um, the brain doesn't like to just rely on one network uh, too much and, and that can tire out that brain network. So the brain looks for opportunities to use other brain networks and have other experiences. So the great irony is once you have the certainty that you want, you start looking for various forms of uncertainty, which we call variety. The other word you could use for it is novelty, right? And if you look at our modern world, there's our modern world is like so built around variety. I mean, you know, you can buy a book and, and start reading it in seconds if you have a Kindle or an Amazon reader or whatever. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to wait for the book to get shipped to you anymore. I laugh. I, 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 told, I told my nine-year-old, you know, we're heading into the holiday season, right? And talking about how the, the Sears catalog and the JCPenney catalog used to come out and you'd, you'd leaf through it when you were a kid. I'd leaf through it and look at the Star Wars figures and all the cool stuff. And, you know, if you filled out your order, you then waited six to eight weeks for it to be, yeah. for it to be delivered to you, right? And now you can get um, the standard is like two-day shipping from Amazon if you got Prime. And if that's not fast enough, you can pay extra and have it shipped overnight. You can stream your movies instantly, get your movies instantly, read your books instantly. Um, we are, I mean, you can just sit on the internet and, and, and surf for novel things on the internet for hours and hours and hours. Um, you know, the idea again, like when I was a kid, I'm going to cough. Hold on. I got to mute. Well, while you mute, that's okay. Cause I'm going to make, I'm going to say something funny. You mentioned the Sears catalog. Yeah. yeah. The Sears catalog like started. I feel like the Sears catalog started one of my major vices. Really? So, Oh yeah, dude. When I was a kid, like when I was like eight years old, cause the Sears catalog, you have the big, Christmas Sears catalog that has yeah, be like three inches thick. Yeah. yeah, that has everything that Sears sells. So here I am at like eight years old, flipping through like the the lingerie and the women's underwear. Uh. And then like so like eight years old, and my mom comes in and she's like, and I don't even think it was the big one. I think it was like the smaller Sears catalog. Yeah, it's like. She's like, why is this in your, you know, why is this in your room? And I was like, oh, I was looking for toys. I'm making my Christmas list. And she's like. Yeah, but this one doesn't even have the toy section. (laughs) So, you know, so coming here, I'm 32. And, you know, we look at those experiences when we're kids. And I'm like, you know, such things that you don't always realize. But, you know, I was like eight years old looking at lingerie models in the, you know, in the Sears catalog. Yeah. You know, that might be the start of of some of my major struggles. It's it, it's a whole. I mean, it's it's crazy the you know the the cultural shifting that has occurred. I mean, you think about again, like you know, I'm I'm 44, I'm, I'm middle aged now, but I'm on the front end of middle age. Like I'm not that old, and I, I just think about how that doesn't seem that long ago to me. That that's how we had to live, right? You had to wait for the catalog to come in the mail. Oh, you exciting. know, and you had to you had to look through it and browse through it, and and it's like crazy. Like you know, now then you waited six to eight weeks. Now it's like like I, just before I got on this with you, I was on Amazon and I was looking for stuff, you know, and I'm like sitting in my chair, it took me two seconds. I threw something in the shopping cart. It'll be here in two days. Like yeah. it's just a crazy, so that's variety, you know, and, and it goes again, like our, our society, you know, even, even now, like travel, the idea that there are all these travel sites that help people, you know, it used to be a really rare and special thing for human beings to fly on an airplane. Mm-hmm. And now you can jump on Orbitz or Hotmail or Expedia or whatever, and you can find these amazing deals and you can, you know, just on a whim, you can be like, I think I want to go to 
you know, I think I want to go to Europe. And so you just do now, you know, like there's so many things that we've built to ease us so simply and quickly into variety. Yeah. And I think one of the things is, is when I came out to see you for training and I got off, you know, we, we got together and, and the variety has made us almost so cynical, you know, it's like, because we were in the airport, you were picking me up at the airport and you had just flown in from a show and I had just flown in from St. Louis. That's and, right. I was, and I was like, oh man, like my head was congested because flying does that to me. And I was like, oh, I just hate flying. And you're like, I absolutely love flying. You're like, I get to, I get to, you know, sit in a plane and all of a sudden I go up in the air and that's a cool experience and I'm somewhere else in no time. You're like, I absolutely love it. And I'm like, boy, I'm just kind of grumpy and cynical, aren't I? I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I hate the ability to be in like three hours to be halfway across the country and it was super convenient and I didn't have to do anything but sit in a chair and you know, right? eat some peanuts and here I am being cynical about it. Um, even though I never get over that, man. I never get, I literally, I've been touring the nation as a stage hypnotist for 15 years. I just had my last show was last week. I flew to Pittsburgh and I almost always when I'm in the plane have that moment where I'm sitting in the plane and I stop whatever I'm doing and I think I am flying in a plane right now. I'm 30,000 feet in the air and I can watch TV and movies and listen to music or play video games. Like I live the way millionaires, you know, back in the 40s and 50s lived, yeah. even 60s probably. Like that's accessible to all of us now. And it's so, and it's so accessible to us that we often just take it for granted. And I'm like, I will not do that. I will not let that happen to me. I will remind myself regularly that I get to enjoy that variety and, and that novelty. Um, it's a pretty incredible thing. So. Yeah. And, and it was a good, you know, the, the lessons that I learned from you are always much more than just, here's the thing I want to teach you. It was just intrinsically going like, Oh, Hey, yeah, like maybe you need to check yourself because this is pretty awesome that you get to do this. And here you are being cynical because you had to sit in an airport for, for two hours, you know, and like, what, what? Oh, is this? Well, and you know what that, so here's, here's how we can tie that back to what we're actually talking about in an, at an even deeper level. A lot of times when you see that in people when they're traveling, it's because they have an instinct what is, that is being activated that they're, they're, um, that, that they don't have total certainty, right? Like people get stressed when they fly because they can't be in control of the entire experience. Yep. And that's what pisses them off. And that's what yep. gets them really stressed. So that's what you see with people again, where these needs, they're there, they're in your DNA and you don't really think about them. In fact, most people will never think about them consciously unless they've met with me or someone who's been trained in this system like me. And, and we teach it to people to think about it consciously. Otherwise, it all happens subconsciously. It all happens in this running routine in your mind. And you just feel it as I'm stressed or I'm pissed. And, and you think you know why. You think, ah, I just hate this shit, you know? But it's like, no, it's not this shit that you hate. It's not actually flying that you hate mm -hmm. it's the feeling of not being in total control when you fly that you hate it's the feeling of if i get delayed there's nothing i can do about it if i get you know if, if they lose my bags it's yet another way that i'm out of control it's all the things that people start obsessing about that they can't control that stress them out and, and frustrate them 
Yeah. And I mean, that ties in with me perfectly because I, I think I really try not to be very misogynistic, but I have some of those traits and where, as you know, even as you're saying this, I would feel it misogynistic to when my wife and I get in the car, I'm driving. And I'll be honest, she's a better driver than me. She's uh, more careful. She pays more attention. She's always a two and, you know, two and 10 kind of girl. Um, but if we're in the car, I want to be in that driver's seat. And right. it's not misogynistic. It's not because she's a woman and she can't do it. It's because I need certainty that I'm right. going to do it. So right. just uh, right. like I said, every time we talk, I learn something new about myself. <laughs> So, so there's two, there's two needs left. Let's cover our last two and then, and then I'll stop talking. Um, your, your fifth need is for growth. Um, and again, one word, many levels. You want to feel intellectually that you're growing, that you're getting smarter and that you know more over the course of your life. Um, despite people's many different spiritual beliefs, um, you want to have a sense that you are spiritually growing. Even if you're an atheist, you still want to have a sense that you are growing, that, that, that there's a, a spiritual realm of yourself that you want to feel like your consciousness is expanding, that you are growing and evolving as a person emotionally uh, and intellectually and spiritually. And you even uh, might be really focused on wanting to feel like you're growing physically. You might want to feel like you're getting stronger uh, and that you're improving your physical self in a way that would qualify as growth. So that's an, that's the fifth one. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, uh, the last one is contribution. People want to feel like they're contributing directly to the relationships in their lives. Am I making my children's life better? Am I making my partner's life better? Am I making my mom and my dad's life better? Um, then you step it up to the community level. Am I contributing to my community somehow and making my community better? And ultimately, in the bigger, uh, bigger viewpoint, Sorry about that. I had to cough. Uh, and the biggest uh, scope would be the world. Am I making the world a better place? Uh, am I helping the world to become um, just better somehow? And so uh, we want to have a sense of contribution. So certainty, significance, uh, love and connection, variety, growth, and contribution. Those are your six basic human needs. And again, they all have multiple angles, these kind of spider webs that creep out from the words into all these different layers of life. And um, that's, your, that's your daily grind is working out ways to get all six of those needs met as consistently as you can. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, even just, even though I know these and you and I've gone over these multiple times um, and even when we talked a little while back as I was, which, um, one of the major side effects that I love of this uh, experiment is that Holly and I are growing together and our relationship is getting much stronger. But in the beginning, when we no longer had our, our vices to calm us down and to cover up our issues with, they all bubbled right up to the surface. And right. as, as my listeners know, like I was straight up with people like, I yelled at my wife again today. I yelled at my wife again today. And like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't centered on, on me specifically, but it was that thing of where, you know, one of us would start something and then one of us would keep it going. And then it would escalate into that right. point where now I'm, I'm, you know, verbally yelling, which is, which is, you know, something that I refer to as, as my worst self. 
as opposed to my best self, because I'm very not proud of myself when I act that way. You know, and you asked me when we were discussing that, what need are you trying to meet? And, um, you know, this is where we don't always see the needs on their face. I'm like, I can't think right away of a need that I can consciously meet. Right. And you're like, hey, dude, you forgot you're a hypnotist and that things happen subconsciously and, and we don't always see it. And even here going through, I thought, well, maybe it's significance because I do have that, you know, like, hey, look at me. I need to be the biggest personality in the room. You know, I have had that. Um, but it's also, you know, it's also certainty. Um, yeah. Because when we're fighting, my, my, um, my relationship status is not as certain as I would like it to be. And that then brings in the anxiety and my anxiety and my even panic attacks Whereas, you know, most people think the traditional panic attack manifests into heavy breathing, crying, you know, those kind of things. Uh, mine manifest as um, unexplained irritability or um, emotional outbursts, yelling and things like that. So when you start to dissect that a little bit more um, subconsciously, it looks to me like anxiety because my certainty is not getting met or I'm worried that my right. relationship is in trouble. And so I then can't control myself and then get into that emotional state. Yes. Very good. So, very good. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean the two, the, all the people that I've worked with that I use this with, it's, it's so consistent that the two biggest things that cause problems for people are when they don't feel certain or when they don't feel significant. And, mm -hmm. and when people are really struggling, it's usually a combination of the two. That's an important concept too for your audience to really to, to hear is the human brain really, really loves efficiency. It wants to get as much done by spending as little energy as possible. What's, it's, when you think about that, that's a beautiful evolutionary tool, you know, to, to say, I'm going to do, I want to get as much done with as little energy output as possible. That's going to help me survive. And so what the brain does is it, um, it tends to find ways of accomplishing, you know, multiple things. Um, so like, like if you look at the, the things that you've been trying to reduce or eliminate this month, um, you know, people say, well, I have a problem with, you know, smoking or I have a problem with drinking or whatever your problem is. First of all, it's not the problem. It's a symptom of the real problem. And, and the, the, then the second thing is it's never just about one thing. Almost never. It's almost never about one thing. What it is, is it's, it's, it's a habit that you've adopted because it's a good, efficient way of getting multiple needs met. And so if you're, you know, so we'll go back to your fighting, you're fighting almost never is going to be about one thing. It's going to be about probably multiple things. And it's going to be, it's going to be about most commonly certainty and significance, right? I fight when I feel out of control and I fight when I feel unimportant. And, and it's the most, it's the most basic, simple way <coughs> to get into a physical state. And it's almost like a life hack where, you know, if you don't feel so great about yourself, and you want to feel more, and, and, and so if you generally refer to not feeling good about yourself as feeling powerless, right? If you say most of the time when people are really sad, they feel it's some form of um, disempowerment. 
uh, or when they feel really ashamed or guilty, that's another form of like, I'm not good enough. I can't do what I need to or what I want to. I'm not powerful. And so the easiest way to feel powerful is to get pissed off because all your physiology changes. Your muscles get more tense. Your heart rate goes up. Um, your respiration, your blood pressure go up. Everything goes up. And that's, that's a power, more powerful state than being a schmoopy doopy, you know? And so um, fighting is uh, just a great way. And, and another thing for your audience to consider with that is some people who are listening to this may go, well, I don't fight with my partner. I don't have that problem. I'd say, all right, so how many of you find yourself fantasizing about fighting? Because that's yeah. another thing I've seen Absolutely. with clients over the years is people who spend a lot of time imagining themselves telling the coworker what they really think of them, telling your supervisor where the, you wish you could send them, you know, all those kind of things where you're, you're really fantasizing about giving someone a piece of your mind. And, and, and as hypnotists, we know that when you really step into that fantasy in your mind, when you really imagine it well, you are getting all of the emotional reward, even though you're not really doing it. Your deeper mind, it's, it's going through it as if you're really doing it. It's responding emotionally. So you get all the benefits of, of, of fighting or accosting someone without having to actually do it and deal with the social repercussions. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, for me, that's a step along the way. And I had to realize, and, and one of the things that I have changed to better my relationship is when something happens in my day that I need to express that as opposed to going through that fantasy. Because there were a couple of times where I consciously chose to, you know, like there was a night where Holly and I had, um, I don't even remember what it was, but something happened and I started to get mad about it. And I got a little more mad about it internally. And I'm like sitting on the couch, like all bulled up. And she's like, what, I can see that you're mad. What is it? And I'm like, what would I have to be mad about? Everything's fine. And that inside my head was not true at all. I was having the exact opposite where I'm, you know, having that fantasy of the fight. But with me, I don't, I uh, didn't have that. I was in my own home, first of all. So I didn't have that fear of social interaction, which is one of the main, main side effects that I've gained and hope to gain when I started this was to be the same person inside my home, whether I'm just with her or by myself than when I'm outside of my home. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I'm sitting on the couch and this is going through my head, this argument that I should have or that I'm going to have. And then all of a sudden it just popped off. It just exploded, you know, and it, and it came out. And so to remedy that, when, when she says something or when a situation happens, whether it's internal or external, whether it's just her and I or whether it's in the world, um, I, I state as it happens, like, this is annoying me. That angers me. And I try to get that out um, immediately, calmly, before it builds. Um, because I saw another, another guy that I've been talking a lot with, um, and he'll be on the podcast next week. He put up a, a meme that said, um, you know, like if you attribute a soda bottle to your stress or to like your body to a soda bottle and the soda is the stress and you shake it and shake it and shake it. And you say that the soda is the problem. The soda is not the problem. The cap is the problem. Right. And I was like, that's so like momentarily prevalent to me. And like, just if you have an issue, just say it. 
because yeah. it's going to be way, especially if you can communicate it calmly before it has all that build to it. Um, you know, you're going to be so much more effective. You're going to communicate more effectively and you won't, you know, as you said, we play these things out. I love, um, I believe it was Anthony Jacqueline. I think uh, it might've been somebody else uh, that said, we create real change through imaginary events um, yeah. in our own mind. And that's, that's the beauty of hypnosis is that we can go in and have an imaginary event um, whether we're dealing with stress or trauma or how you should future, you know, future pace something. And that's exactly what you're doing when you're having that fight. But in, you've gotten to that extreme stress point mid fight in your own head. And so when it's time to communicate, that's where you're physically, emotionally, mentally at You're you're mid fight already before you even open your mouth. So. Right. Right. That's, and that's, I mean, yeah, there's, and there's so much there. I mean, that's, that topic alone. I mean, it's, it's, it's again, so easily taken for granted that that people do this and, um, and because people do it commonly and a lot, it'd be really easy to just go, well, that's what people do. And it's like, yeah, but you got to think about what that really means, what it really means. I mean, it's such an incredible opportunity for empowerment to start thinking about. So, so what we're talking about here is the idea that, just sitting and imagining has all these potential outcomes, you know, whether you choose to act on them or not, there's still going to be an outcome. It's just going to be different and a different outcome, whether you act on it versus whether you don't and, and even different potential outcomes each way, you know? So when you sit and, and you go, you have these fantasies, um, you know, if you get really into them, you're, you're changing your representational system in your mind, potentially with regard to the people you love, you know, because you're, you're, you're creating an alternate reality in your mind when you have these fantasies, which then affects your emotional reaction to people in the real world afterward, you know? So it's, it goes back to that whole capped bottle thing. Like, don't think that just by not acting on it, that, that nothing bad can come from it. I mean, if you're, if you're really doing that on the regular, you're, you're shaping your emotional response to people. You're shaping your perception of yourself and others in your mind. And then if you do let those fantasies get to a point where you think, well, what I'm really doing is prepping so that I make sure I handle it the right way. Well, that's not necessarily true either, (laughs) you know? And so, then you go and you, you know, you, if you're popping off because you think you've popped off in the prepared way, that doesn't mean that you've, you know, either way, what you're doing is, again, it all is about getting your needs met. Whatever you're doing, you're doing to meet one or more needs. And so that's the question to always come back to is when you have these feelings and you have these thoughts and ideas to learn to be self-aware, catch yourself and then ask the question, what need or needs is, is being met by doing this right now? And if you can get good at, at asking yourself that question, and if you can get good at then answering it, then you can figure out, you go, okay, really, I'm having this fantasy in my head of being angry and fighting with someone because I feel out of control or I feel insignificant. And so... The real answer is how do I help myself find a healthy, functional way to feel in control of my life or to feel significant? And if I can do that, then I won't need to use these less, 
you know, less healthy, less functional ways. And that's the long-term life skill that, that you hope to build by using this system. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, it's really interesting to dig into again, the, you know, cause we think, well, this doesn't make any sense. Like when I fight technically consciously, I feel powerless because, you know, that's, but that's why, you know, I raise my voice is to gain that sense of power, even though I know consciously that that's a powerless state. You know, I, um, I'm still working between day job and, you know, entrepreneurship. So like I train dogs during the day and, um, a, a dog will not follow us an unstable leader. So if you yell at your dog, your dog thinks you're an idiot and they won't follow you. Um, and it's, it's the same thing with people. If you're at work and your boss like walks through and just starts yelling at people and then walks out because that makes him feel powerful, essentially he's powerless. And so it's important to dig deeper than the way you think you feel to get down to the subconscious of what the real root is. Yep. And the real root of it all, if you want to, you know, if you want to go super broad in a way that actually can be useful, the root of it all is love and connection. Mm-hmm. If, if you really work in this system like I have for years and years and you, you look at all the different people who have all these different things, but you look at the common core themes, it always comes back to when human beings feel loved and connected to other human beings, they don't feel uncertain and they don't feel insignificant. And so like they get that organically. When I really know that I'm loved and I'm connected, there's a natural certainty that comes from that. When I really truly feel loved, um, I feel significant. I feel like I matter and I'm important. And so everything else just sort of falls into place. And so if you, you know, you can spend a lot of time trying to deprogram all the weird ways, all the little strange mechanisms that you've built in your life so that you can feel more in control or so that you can feel more important. Um, you know, I had a client, one of my, the client I always talk about when I talk about this stuff, I, I had a client who, you know, he had seven Rolexes and, and silk suits and a new car every 12 months. You know, he's very um, wealthy and successful. And he came to me when he was 42 years old and he was miserable. And he's like, I've built this amazing business and I've got, I've got money. I've got all the money I could ever need. Um, I've got seven Rolexes and, you know, I've, I've been with, you know, hundreds of beautiful women. And he told me all this and he goes, and I'm no happier today than I was back when I was a kid. And, and I started thinking that if I did all these things and had all these things, I would be happy. And he goes, I, I'm about ready to give up. I don't know what, you know, so we went through this whole system and when we went through the whole system. He figured out that everything he was doing was to be significant. And, and, and that all came back from in his childhood, you know, he had, um, he was, grew up very poor and he was bullied constantly at school. And his dad was, you know, trying to, his dad was working three jobs to try to support the family. So his dad was never home and his mom was sad about that. And so she was an alcoholic and, and she, um, so no one was available for him. You know, there was no one that was ever present for him and available for him. And so he didn't feel loved and connected. And then he had, you know, kids bullying him and, and, you know, he didn't do well in school. So he felt completely insignificant. And so he spent all of his energy, um, 
to become significant, you know, and he did it. He, he put this chip on his shoulder and he built a million dollar um, business and, and, you know, had everything, but then found it still wasn't enough. And that's the thing is when you're chasing certainty and significance, there's never enough. You got to get to love and connection. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what, and when, when we started the process, I thought looking at these that certain or that uh, significance was going to be my number one need. Um, and because I'm, a, you know, I like to be on stage. I like to talk a lot. I like for everybody to come to me with their problems. And I thought it was very me, me, me. And that this was going to be my thing was, was significance. And then again, it turned and it came back to love and connection. And then I needed more that I enjoyed love and connection and I needed more love and connection. Um, and also, um, community because I wasn't doing anything positive to affect the other, you know, outside of my own self. Um, and that also leads back to love and connection because how am I trying to um, make my friends, my uh, clients, my world a better place is through love and connection and helping people and, you know, improving their own lives. So again, comes all the way back down to love and connection. So Exactly. But exactly. Let, let me roll this by you, which I just kind of thought, which might have my, which, which kind of balls up all my difficulties here. I just thought about this is my, um, so my impulse control, my uh, substance usage connects directly to my love and connection. Because if you think about this, I go out and I hang out with my friends and until up until the place closed here recently, I would go to the same place. I would, um, you know, have the same people and I, we would do the same things, you know, we would drink, we would smoke, we would do the same things together. And so all of these things tied into love and connection Right at the base of it all. I'm in a place I'm, you know, I'm drinking, I'm doing these specific things, connecting with these people. And one of the things that I stumbled upon when speaking with, uh, Nicholas was that, um, we, that I have anchored my drinking and smoking to my love and connection. Yes. Which now as I'm coming near the end to the experiment and I'm going to allow myself to, uh, still control my impulses, but, um, go back to having a few beers here and there or smoking a joint here and there. Um, I am, I, I do have this trepidation of, as I desire to get back into that, um, I'm starting to see more how that's anchored in my love and connection and how there is a little bit of a fear in me still that if I don't do these things, it's going to be more difficult for me to get my love and connection. Right. So, well, so, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, there's a couple different things to talk about here. This is kind of, this could become a bit of a rabbit hole, but I'll try to keep it from, from being so. So I think, um, I don't have, first of all, I wish I could give you and your audience, um, one tight little answer for that, but there isn't one because there's, there's, there's a few different factors there that, but they're such a great thing to bring up and they're worth consideration. So here we go. So the first thing is you and, and your audience, some of the people in your audience are totally going to resonate with that, right? They're going to, they're going to go, yeah, I do that too. And so that's why it's great that we're talking about this. The first thing you have to think about is the idea that 
<clears throat> because you're talking about a situation that involves other human beings, you simply can't control them, right? Like you can't control what they bring to the table in this situation. And so it could be that you will not be able to really feel loved and connected with them because they can't feel loved and connected unless those activities are happening. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is a real possibility. And then if you get to a point where you can assess that and you can realize that that is the case, then you're faced with a really tough decision. And that is, do you need to get new friends? Yeah. Because <clears throat> what, you, what you must come to understand at that point is if they're not going to change their behavior and you understand that the behavior really doesn't serve you in creating your best life, then the only thing that you can really do to move yourself toward living your truly best life is to let go of those friends. You don't have to judge them. You don't have to be unkind to them, but you do have to let them go if that's the case because they're just going to want to keep doing that old model that you know doesn't really serve in the creation of your best life. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think that if you get to a point where you go, you know what, really, I was just living in a false model. And what I was doing was I was, I was believing that the only way I could connect with these people was through these activities. But now I really recognize that my connection does not come through these activities. My connection comes through me bringing myself authentically to other human beings. Right. And this is very, very possible that this is what will happen. And again, your audience can resonate with this, I hope, is what you really can come to as a realization is, so I used to engage in these activities because there was a part of me that instinctively thought I just wasn't enough for these people, that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't funny enough, I wasn't outgoing enough, I wasn't enough of whatever. And so the only way I could be enough was to drink and become less inhibited, to smoke and become, you know, less anxious, to, to blah, 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 blah. And so now I realize, but I really don't have to do that. I am enough. I, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm everything. I'm awesome and amazing. And um, my connection with other human beings comes from being authentically me, not from drinking something or smoking something or you know, listening to a certain type of music or whatever. And so if you can get to that place where you really get it and you really believe it in your heart, then you can go, well, I don't need to do any of those things anymore. And I guess if they do, then they can do it, but I just don't need to do it. Yeah. And, and then you can be in that, in that vibrational place where you've tuned yourself to that frequency of loving abundance where you say, I, I just can be me. I can, for the first time maybe in my whole life, I can be me and I can enjoy being me. And they're going to have to decide whether that's the me they want to be with or not. And if they don't want to, it won't take away any significance because I understand that this is my truth. I understand that, that I'm really fucking awesome. <laughs> like, and, 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 you know, and that, you know, God or the universe or whatever you want to call it loves me the way I am. And, and, and that people should love me for who I am too. And if they don't, that's their choice. And I'm just not going to worry about it. 
And so, you know, like, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to do my thing, baby, you know, like, and, and just get out there and, and do that. And I think if you can get to that place where, you know, the, the, the old, the old term for it would just be, if you can truly be comfortable in your own skin, yeah. then, then you can do that. You can say, I can go anywhere. I can hang out in a crack den, <laughs> you know, and, and be like, Hey, no, it's okay. You keep that pipe for yourself. I'm cool. And, and, you know, a lot of people in our modern world, they, they struggle with getting to that place vibrationally. But I, from what I'm watching you do, I think that's the path that you're on. I think you're finally figuring it out, you know? And so I think that, that you can do that. Now, the last thing that I would bring up in relation to everything I've said so far is, you know, if you are getting to that place, what I do think you have to be prepared for is for the people who aren't in that place to try to sabotage you in that way. And it's not because they don't love you. It's because they're just living a limited life and it freaks them out. I mean, you know, they're used to you being a version of you that they think they know in their head. And then you come in as this other evolved version of you and um, they don't quite know what to do about that. And so they try to just hang with you at first, but then it's going to start making them feel weird because when you think about, I mean, think about like, we'll switch it just to try to make an illustrative metaphor. Imagine that you hit the Powerball, you know, mm-hmm. and I'll use a real, actually, I'll use a real, I, I watched a, um, I watched a podcast with a comedian who used to work, he still works the comedy circuit. And, but he was talking, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast and he was talking about how back in the day he used to work the comedy circuit with Kevin Hart on a regular basis and they were like equals and then Kevin blew up. Right. And now Kevin's mega rich and this guy hasn't ever gone to that next level. And so he's talking about how he, he got a, he got a two night booking at some comedy place in like Sacramento, California, and he was all excited. And so he, uh, he flies out to Sacramento and, um, then he sees that Kevin Hart is going to be doing a show at like the stadium in the, the indoor arena in Sacramento that same weekend. And so like he sends him a text and says, Hey, I'm, I'm doing two nights at the comedy shop or whatever it was called. And uh, this is cool. We're going to be in the same town like the old days. And Kevin Hart messages him back. And he goes, yeah, man. He goes, why don't you come over and hang out? He goes, I'm at the such and such hotel. And uh, he goes, come over and hang out. And the guy's like, yeah, that's cool. So he goes, he goes to the hotel and he gets, he gets like, um, he gets a, like an Uber and, uh, oh my God. Special guest Sasha on the podcast. (laughs) Sasha's on the podcast. So he gets, he gets in the, he gets a cab. And, uh, or an Uber. And he says, the guy says, where he's taking him to the hotel. And he goes, yeah, I'm going over to, I'm going over to, uh, <coughs> to see my buddy, Kevin Hart. And the guy goes, get out of here. He goes, you know, Kevin Hart. And he goes, yeah, we used to work comedy shows together in, in the old days. And he goes, I got a two show gig at the comedy shop tonight. And Kevin's over at the arena. And, uh, the cab driver goes, oh, that's cool. Good for you. He goes, Hey, do you think you could get me a couple tickets? And the guy goes, well, yeah, I could get you a couple of tickets. He goes, I'll leave them at the front desk for you. And the guy goes, oh, no, I didn't mean for you. I meant, could you get me tickets yeah. to go see Kevin Hart? Oh. <laughs> right? Oh. 
So that was the beginning of it. And then he talks about how then he goes, uh, well, I don't know. Uh, let me see what Kevin can do. And the guy drops him off and he goes in and he goes upstairs and Kevin Hart has like the suite in the hotel, yeah. like a palace, right? And he goes in and, and Kevin's got an entire entourage there and like they're playing Xbox and there and Kevin's like, you want some food? We're having lobsters brought up. And he's like all this stuff, right? Like, and the guy was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> right. And then he's talking to him about the Xbox and he goes, he goes, Oh, that's cool. You still travel with your Xbox? Like in the old days, he goes, cause apparently they used to do that. They'd share hotel room and, <laughs> and Kevin goes, Oh no, I don't travel with it anymore. When we get to town, I send one of my guys and I have them buy two and, um, we set them up and we play with them. And then um, when we leave town, we just give them to the hotel staff. <laughs> She's like disposing of like Xboxes, you know, like all this crazy stuff. The guy's telling this story. And so you got to that point where he's like, and I just wanted to kill myself. <laughs> he goes, cause he said, here I am. I'm pulling two nights at the comedy shop which in my industry, like, that's a big deal. He goes, but then I'm looking at Kevin and Kevin's got all this stuff going on and it just makes me look like I'm not doing shit. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's a real thing for people, man. You know, like, and it doesn't just have to be about money. It can be about personal growth. Like, it can be when you're sitting with a friend that you think of as, this is my buddy that I used to smoke a bowl with, and now he's sitting with me and he doesn't smoke anymore. Um, that sort of makes me feel like he thinks he's better than me, even though he never said that. Right. And all this stuff happens in people's head, you know? Right. And then instead of being able to just be with each other and be present and be connected, the next thing you know, they're like, you know what? Probably just don't want to hang out with that dude anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... That's a real thing to get prepared for. And again, I think the key is, can you get prepared for it in a way where if it does happen, where you do not take it personally and where you don't, where you just can be compassionate about it and say, I understand that these people aren't where I'm at and I love them and I want every good thing for them. And if that's the way it has to be so that they can feel cool in their life, then I'm going to let that happen and I'm going to attract some new people into my life that share my values and share my vibrational place and, and are tuned the way I'm tuned and, and everybody can be loved. And I think that's the big thing that doesn't happen is there's, there's a, 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 a thing of, well, then there must be a stern rejection. <laughs> you right. know, like, Yeah. You right. Know. Yeah. And I, you know, I've definitely experienced both uh, that from both angles from people in my life, people very close to me having a tough time being aligned with me and thinking, you know, that very thing I've had um, more, more times than I would like to admit this you're perfect and that you're doing all this and that I'm not good enough anymore um, from a certain angle. I've definitely felt that. And then I as well, something that I'm working on is when someone does finally like reach out or when I've, I've kind of truly tried to, I know you and I have uh, talked about in the past, the, the, the pain that social media can cause. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm trying to use social media in the exact opposite. When I see people that have exposed something of themselves 
to try and give them a tool or try and connect with them or offer them, you know, some, some help of, of some kind. And then I get a little cynical of man, like I've, I've messaged this person and I've given them a couple tools and like they want to, and it's not consciously that they want to, they just are having a tough time doing the work. And it's like that they want to sit. What I view is they want to sit in their, I don't know what the best word is, but misery. Like you, I've, I've given you these things that should be helping and you're not doing them. And like, that's something that I'm trying to, or that I am letting go is that, that that's not the point. That's not what's going on. They have their own things going on and maybe the tool that you gave them helped and maybe they didn't right. use it or maybe they used it and it wasn't the right tool for them. Um, but then, you know, sometimes when I see time after time after time after time, this person that I have offered help to not using it, that I can get a little cynical about that. And that's, right. that's not the point. You know, that, and that's not the, the way to go through and to help that person. The way is, you know, hey, I'm here. When you finally are ready for it, I'm here. And yeah. we'll do it then. So, yeah. And so, see, yeah. that comes again back to the needs, you know, is, is you'll, you'll, you'll meet people in your life. You'll have people in your life that you think, well, if they would just do this, like their life would get better. And so you offer it. But it's so important to understand, like human beings love certainty so much that they will stay in an unhealthy certainty. Usually they'll stay in an unhealthy certainty much longer than, than they'll move to a new healthy uncertainty. Yeah. You know, like even though intellectually they can look at it and go, well, that would make things better, but I don't know what that would really mean for me. I don't know how that would really affect my life in all ways yeah, I'm just going to stay over here and keep, you know, doing this thing. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I uh, am, am familiar with that headspace because as I'm nearing the end of the experiment, I am eyeballing those old ways, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and like, I'll be perfectly honest. I have, I have um, my buddy's birthday, my birthday and New Year's Eve that are all major events where I have to set my intent and figure out how I'm going to handle those because I want to go back to those events. And part of my uh, fear base is, is worried about how I'm going to handle that or how my, you know, how much fun my birthday is going to be, you know, if I, if I, if I don't do this, that, and the other. Um, what, so, so like, what are your possibilities that you've examined with that? Like what, what is a possibility that you could explore that would exceed anything you've ever experienced before for your birthday? Um, well, one thing that I am intending is, is so my very favorite band, the Dirty Heads is in town um, the night of the 16th and my birthday is the 17th. Okay. So, so like I view that as a birthday gift from the universe. Like that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I've intended is like usually, so I'll be 33 and my concert going has moved to the back of the venue to where I can have a chair and I can sit. And so like, you know, so one of the things I intend is I'm going to go to this concert like I'm 18 and I'm going to get there, you know, before the headliner even goes on and I'm going to be up like, you know, first, second row and, and really digging into the experience a lot more than worried about, you know, being close to the bar so I can get in and out of the crowd to have another drink, you know? Right. Um, and then I don't, I don't imagine as, you know, a lot of people who are dealing with, with sobriety or trying to control themselves in those ways. I, I don't feel like I need to be that guy that has to be totally away and sustained. Um, yeah. But I feel like I can control 
you know, my impulses, my, my amounts. I can have, you know, three or four beers as opposed to drinking whiskey all night and getting hammered. Right. Um, so that's a good, a good part of it. Um, and I don't know as far as, and then, you know, my buddy's birthday, that's his birthday. I don't need to be, you know, I don't need to pursue the party as much on his birthday. I can just be there with him and be like, Hey man, let's hang out and be connected on that one. Um, and then I have not really thought about New Year's Eve, but it's the older I get, the less I care about, about New Year's Eve. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I do foresee myself being able to go through these processes and, um, you know, still hang out and still imbibe a little bit, um, and not, but that being said, I haven't been to that situation yet. Um, so I'm planning for it, visualizing for it, that kind of stuff, um, to be able to navigate a little bit better. Um, and then moving forward, I, um, intend to set down some, some rules, you know, for myself, like I can go out and let totally loose one night a month. If I feel that still serves me, as long as I'm doing it one night a month, as opposed to two or three nights a weekend. Right. So, and that, and that going as well for inebriation or for eating of, you know, sugar and fast food and carbs and and that kind of stuff or, you know, on whatever angle, just to lay down myself an actual set of rules and be like, this is what you have to do now. What's tell me about the, the thing you, so what you seem to be planning for is how to return to a more compromised. And I mean that in a good way, like Mm -hmm. compromise is a healthy thing, right? A more compromised system for how to chemically alter your body, right? Like you're, you're starting, you like, you're saying rules and right. So, so like, I guess what I would go to is like, what do you think that achieves for you that makes it worth putting in the time and energy of creating this compromise system? As opposed to complete cessation. Yeah, I mean, and again, not from a, I'm not asking from a moral, no, uh, right, yeah, value based standpoint. I'm asking just to understand, like, what is it about it that makes you feel like that's still necessary or worth it for, for I guess, for reasonable terms? Hmm, that's a really uh, good question, and one of the things is, is just my, that it's been such a part of, of my life for such a long time that even as I'm going through this process of cessation, I am eyeballing that future of, of getting back to it in a way that doesn't, that allows me almost like a best of both worlds idea that like I can still enjoy because there's, there's a lot of things and, and this may be a conscious versus a subconscious idea. A lot of things are just kind of fun, you know? Yeah. And, and so um, I, just, I just enjoy them. And I, I don't want to be so far separated from those ideas. Yeah. Um, some things, like I feel like, and I've even had discussions with um, Dr. Manny and, and Nicholas about how some forms of inebriation um, – lower the, and, and this is probably just a limiting belief as I, as I think about it, they lower the inhibition rate and allow you to connect at a better level 
um, both con- both consciously between people and maybe even um, you know on a metaphysical level. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that believe that um, like psychedelics will do that. You know, right. or or even or even cannabis will do that. Uh, will allow you to be closer to that connection. Um, but even as I say that, that may just be using as an excuse to do it more often because I'm not envisioning doing it in a ceremonious way, at least not very often. It might be interesting to do it in a ceremonious way for that connection. Right. Um, But I think that there's just, there, there might, I might still be in a fear base about how I'm going to be able to integrate myself back into my community because I, even though I've wanted to, and I've thought like I can go out and not, not, you know, and be sober in my, in my groups and with my people. I don't really think that's possible. Most of my people are adults. And if you tell them you're good, they're not going to be like, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. You know, we're not 18 anymore. Um, so it, it may just be living in that fear base of, of such desire to go back to the way it was. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I think that is worth reflecting on some more, you know, is again, is, is if if you think, Again, trying to stay within the the theme of what we're here to talk about today. You know, like if you go, everything you do is about getting needs met, right? And so you go, so you got to a point where you recognized that the the activities you were engaging in, the substances that you were consuming across the spectrum that you've chosen were not ultimately putting you in a place of being your healthiest, happiest self, right? Correct. So. So if you came to that realization and you did this whole project and now through doing it, you've lost weight, you're more mentally clear, like, you know, you've, you've achieved all these benefits, then I can't help but go, so why would you go back? Right. <laughs> like, like, I just, you know, that's sort of like, it's, you know, like if you were gluten intolerant, you know, like Holly mm-hmm. and, and, and you're like, but I really like it. And you just kept eating it and puffing up like a blowfish or, you know, or whatever. Like at some point you'd think someone would go, why do you keep doing that? You know, yeah. it's not good for you. You know, like, and so I think that again, like it's not, you're not saying I'm not going to do this stuff anymore because it's wrong. That's right. not what we're talking about. Right. right. You are just recognizing I had my time and I did it and it didn't bring me where I really want to be. So then I'm like, okay, well then why would you go back why and back? Yeah. start doing it again? It's a pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good thing to spend some time thinking about, <laughs> you know, and I, and I, cause I think that the, the thing is you've put in the time and you've done the work and you've, you've actually produced the results. And so it seems to me like you've cleared space for something else. Mm-hmm. And I think it seems to me like you just don't know what the something else is yet. So then what would any normal human being do? You'd go back to the thing that you do know. Yeah. Right. That makes sense to me. I go, I get it, but I'm not sure that's what the grand design is here. You know, maybe it's just to be a little more open to let me bring that thing into my life that is the next thing and, and let it come in and fill the space that I've created so that I get to keep being this, this 
different, um, healthier, happier version of me and go to the next place, which is actually an even more exalted place, a more um, incredibly joyful place. And, you know, and, and, and I just think that that's, I know that that's probably challenging when you don't know what it is and you go, but I want, cause if you want certainty, right? You go, but I want to know, yeah, right. I want my certainty. I want to know what it is. And I know that when I drink my whiskey and I have my sugar and, and, you know, I smoke a bowl, I know what I'm getting with all that stuff and it's reliable. And gosh, there's something awesome about being able to rely upon things. <coughs> so, yeah. And that's a very good point because a lot of it, a lot of when I truly dig into thinking about, you know, into next month, into the future, there's a lot of, of, um, there's a lot of question about how that's going to be. And do I get to, because through the whole thing, I'm like, no, I'm, I don't want to be that guy that leaves this behind to move in into the next thing because on a certain level, I've gotten a lot of enjoyment. I get a lot of enjoyment. That's where my love and connection comes from. That's my friend group. That's, you know, and so, you know, that's a very good point that there's a lot of uncertainty into how can I continue to do some of these things? Um, you know, when, when it's, it's, it's late and, and my friends are all still enjoying themselves and it's time for me to leave and go to bed. Um, what else is, what else am I missing out on? You know, what am I not getting to do? And so there is uncertainty there of how I'm going to enjoy this. Yeah. Like I, I think that there's a, there's a music festival in the summertime that I go to and being sober at that event, I don't even understand how, you know, just the, the type of event that it is. Um, I don't, I don't know that, that you could go, I could go to that event and so that means losing that piece that's been very important to me into the, you know, into the past. And so there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty with how that would go. And that's probably why, why I have See, that, that thought process. Then I'm like, then it's not really a music festival. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Then that's a ball. That's a lie. Like, that's just a lie. If, 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 if I believe what you're saying that you're saying as right. a truth, but I'm like, if what you're saying is true, <coughs> then there's an accompanying lie. And the lie is that it's a music festival because it's not. If you can't go there and experience it without doing those other activities, then really it's not a music festival. It's a drug festival. Yeah. Th- there happens to be music playing at. <laughs> like, yeah, which is, you know, which is a big proponent of the way things have gone um, yeah. is kind of, you know, hand in hand. And so that is an interesting question to ask. Right. So. And so that's where I think um, the, the natural thing there that again, any normal human being would do is frame that as a, as an experience of loss, right? Well, right. <laughs> if I go there and I don't do it the way I used to do it, then I'm not doing it fully. Therefore I'm losing out somehow. And then I would say, okay, but what if, you know, knowing the skills that you have, knowing the, the abilities that you have, what if you went there and instead said, what if I went there and for the first time ever, I went there and kept myself in trance the whole time and like experienced music deep, deep in trance. Mm-hmm. And like, could I actually have 
a whole other experience. Yes, I believe you could. Could you even have an experience which borders on the spiritual in terms of truly tapping into every gift that you have and, and aligning with the, the, the power of music and mathematical vibration and all that kind of stuff. And could you actually give yourself uh, an experience that almost no human beings are capable of having because they don't practice the things that you practice? There's an incredibly interesting possibility there to me. But again, that's to me. Maybe it's not there for you. you know? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it really does. And I think it's a really interesting intersection um, of my, my two pieces. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I even talked, we, we even talked briefly about the ability to, if you've had like a, like a, um, if you've had a psychedelic experience, the ability for the mind to recall that, um, cause it's a state it's already been in and right. mind, and so then, so then right. actually practicing that and maybe even introducing that to some of my circle. Yeah. Um, Next time you talk so, to Nicholas, ask him about, Ask him about uh, when he was here for the latest training that we did that he came in and dropped in on. Um, we did a, we did a, a Reiki session for the class. And uh, <coughs> I went so deep into trance uh, in, in that Reiki session um, that he like freaked out. And he thought that I was like messing with everybody. He thought I was like, I was like, why on earth would I goof around in my own class that I'm teaching? He goes, I don't know. I just never seen you like that. (laughs) But I went like crazy deep. And, uh, and he was like, what's going on with you right now? Like, and I was like, dude, you're, that tells me you're still not where you need to be yet as a practitioner that you don't get that that's how far you can go that you can, you know, like, and, and we were talking about it and he's like, no, that's true. That's true. I, I just, because I just, you don't usually do that. I go, yeah, I don't usually do that. I don't put it on display for people, but <coughs> we were sharing an experience. And so I shared it, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and, I, and I did, um, you know, I, I finally had an experience like that recently. Um, part of, of this whole project was stepping outside of my comfort zone. And Holly and I went to a yoga studio um, last, uh, a week ago, I think last Sunday. Oh, yeah. And did uh, breath work yeah. with, with a gong bath. Nice. And that breath, like the gong bath was okay, but we start, you know, it's breath work first and then into the gong bath. And the lady's like, you know, the, the breath work is going to bring up a bunch of stuff and the gong bath is going to knock it all out. Yeah. And so when I was doing the breath work, um, I definitely had a, my physical body was definitely felt similar to a psychedelic trip. Um, yeah. between the breath work and the gong bath, when they finally told us we could continue breathing normally, I sat up and tried to get a drink because my, um, my mouth was dry because I'd been open mouth breathing. Yeah. I had a bottle with a lid on it and my body was so out of it that like I couldn't get the cap back on. Uh-huh. And it, it was the strongest. I've taken psychedelics a few times, um, not a ton, but it was the strongest physical psychedelic experience that I'd ever had. And the weirdness of it was, and I talked about this in the next episode, because I think this might've linked somehow to my father is my hands like did this. Oh, I've seen people do that before. I, I mean, I was completely cataleptic from the elbow down. Yeah. 
And like my dad, when he was sick, he was, you know, kind of everything was bunched up like that. Yeah. And I could feel it in my feet as well. But I mean, I was laying down and I started with my hands covered like this kind of on my pelvis, which is where I traditionally, when I lay yeah. down and meditate, that's where I put them. Yeah. Um, and as they started to tense up, like I needed to move them. So I moved them outwards to what I would infer would be something like open like this. But yeah. They closed in. And that yeah. was the only motion that I could do. And I was, I mean, I was trying through it. I was continuing to be in the breath, but I was like, open, this is uncomfortable in my hands, open the hand. And it was not possible. Yeah. So there's still some, there's still some stuff to unpack from all of that. I assumed that it was something connected to my father and um, needing to deal with that shit. Yeah. um, Which I, which I did actually, I think maybe be the, be the episode that I'm uploading tonight or tomorrow. Yeah. Um, was when I, I dove into a lot of the stuff with my dad, but that was nuts. That was absolutely nuts. And to have that experience with only, you know, not, not just the hands, but with my whole body with only yeah. breathing to definitely have a psychedelic experience was nuts. Yeah. And awesome. Yeah. So, that's cool. Uh, so I highly recommend if, you know, anybody listening, like if you haven't done breath work, check that shit out because it's awesome (laughs) that's i mean i think that's something you should think about man is like one of the possible outcomes of this whole experience for you is you know you've talked about your curiosity around that and that you value having those experiences and i'm like so like why not just make that one of your niches hypnotically you know like start learning how to take yourself and others there without any chemicals purely through hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could develop a whole, you could do group sessions and pull people in and you could do amazing stuff for people, you know, by, by creating a, a program that's, that's reproducible on the regular, you know, for people where you really help them have those experiences and uh, it could be incredible. It could absolutely be incredible. Yeah. It's definitely something that I have, thought about playing around with um i just haven't done the work on it yet but absolutely the more and now that i especially that i've had that experience and that i know that it's possible um it, it might be something pretty pretty fun to play around with and overall empowering for myself nice so well we have been talking for a long time uh yeah. this is by far my longest episode and i think we should probably let these folks go and let you get back <laughs> to your life um but before i do um you're an amazing practitioner. I appreciate you. Where can people grab some more info on you if they want to talk to you and work with you a little bit? Uh, let's see. Probably the easiest thing to do is uh, go over to, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Paul Ramsey, R-A-M-S-A-Y. Um, we've got uh, besthypnosistraining.com is our hypnosis training site. And we use that for people who want to start getting into hypnosis. Even if you don't want to be a hypnotist, we have programs for everyday people who want to learn self-hypnosis to make their life better. Um, but uh, you, can, you can reach out to me through Facebook or you can go to besthypnosistraining.com. We have a best hypnosis training page on Facebook as well. Um, I'm on Instagram and you know, I've got a, you know, if you Google me, you'll find me one way or the other. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm always happy to talk with people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. This is a real uh, joy to spend this time with you. Oh yeah, I agree. And thank you. You know, every time I talk to you, I learn so much more about myself. Uh, so immense value here for my listeners, but um, for me as well. So I, I greatly appreciate you and, and everything you've done for me over the last year. So um, 
it's an awesome relationship and I consider yeah. you a good friend. So I appreciate you. Uh, I love you, brother. So I love you too. Uh, that being said, everybody, we're going to go ahead and end up there. So as I always say, uh, make every day better than the day before. And if you fail, that's perfectly okay because tomorrow is going to be easy. Live with gratitude, celebrate your victories, and I'll see you tomorrow.